Ice cream, go ahead and keep grabbing that, but let's kind of cram in here. We're going to be uh, nice and snug. Highly possible, but. Uh, <laughs> If uh, there is a fire, just throw Xavier through the window. Thank you, Xavier. Yes. We'll pray now. Austin can hold on the outside of the deck and everything can climb down. There you go. All right. So let's go ahead and get, get close, get, get comfortable. Check. We're going to get together here. I have not felt like I was in Russia for like oh, yeah. this reminds me of Russia more than it was. This was like our apartment every Thursday night for our uh, dinner and hangout and message. So yeah, it except yeah, it was actually smaller. So and uh, tacky orange couch. All right, hey guys, we're gonna get we're gonna get going here, but uh, yeah, Austin, you wanna pray for us? Yeah. Yeah. Y'all be quiet. Okay. Heavenly Father, um, Lord, we're glad that we get to gather um, in your name for your kingdom tonight. Lord, I pray that um, as we talk about leadership and um, talk about what it means to lead small groups and. Uh, expand your kingdom, God, that you just bless the conversation so that uh, you can be glorified in it, Lord. Um, yeah, let you bless this community, Lord. Let it grow for your sake and let us uh, spread your name through this campus. Amen. 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 All right. Hey, you guys uh, excited about the LTC students in the room? How many LTCers in here? Yeah. Yeah. That's around. Round two, baby. Round two. <laughs> Twice as good. All right. Um, so we are doing something. Obviously, we, we might uh, crack a window over here or something. But um, um, actually, well, i just kind of open that back door. We'll just let the air flow. Let the spirit flow tonight. Let the air flow tonight. All right. Hey. Um, we, are, we decided we were kind of wrestling with what to do because we had – Plans to do a leadership. Now, LTC people, we do twice a semester, we do a leadership meeting all together like this instead of our resource groups meetings on Sunday nights. We were supposed to do our first leadership um, on the Super Bowl Sunday. Realized uh, the, the football gods were demanding our attention. And so we, we decided we weren't going to win that battle. So we decided, we decided... In all honesty, we're just like, well, it's probably easier for us to move leadership than for the Super Bowl to move Sundays. So here we are. Now, so the only time we could think to like do our first leadership was like, well, okay, when can we do this? We thought, well, this Sunday was going to work, the 25th of February. We realized it's the same time as our first LTC meeting. So we were again kind of like, okay, what do we do? Should we do it separate, like do them separate or do them together? We were kind of wrestling with that. I decided to do them together for a couple of reasons. One... I'm going to be teaching a lot of the LTC classes this semester. Decided I didn't want to have no time with my leaders to address them. And so 
leaders, this is an LTC meeting, but we are also, this isn't just about them. Uh, a lot of what we're going to share tonight is for all of us. Um, the other reason is just we thought, hey, how cool is this to get to celebrate together what the Lord has done in our community? And one of those things is is when we begin to see the family grow and, and you know, the, the Pretty cool. The two uh, two analogies it, I probably said in in LTC interviews about 30 times, but is is you know we we kind of think of ourselves in two lights. One is family, and one and another one is army. Um, this is really my time, so if you could turn off your phone. <laughs> <laughs> <It's, laughs> This is why I do this. It's like an ego boost every time. All right. Um, but we are we are family, but we are not just family. We are a family on mission. We are on a mission to grow the family. And so we thought it would just be so cool as, as one of those ways that we see that happening is as we begin to hand that baton onto the next generation of people looking at taking on leadership, taking on responsibility in their faith, to just do it together. And what a beautiful picture this is of the family. Of course, we're doing this in my home because we like to try to highlight at the very beginning, we are family. And so it's a little bit more family-esque if we get to do it together and get awkwardly comfortable with each other for for an hour or two here. So um, here we are. All right. I'm gonna I'm gonna talk for a little while and we're gonna we're gonna spend a little time in prayer at the end and we'll do some worship before it's all said and done. But um, why should the outpost exist? That's my question. That's my question. Why should the outpost exist? Nine years ago, well, nine years ago I showed up to CSU. Ten years ago I showed up. I'm old. Ten years ago I showed up to CSU by myself. I wasn't married yet. Lindsay wasn't in my life yet. I had no teammates yet. We hadn't even pioneered the ministry. I was just alone here in Fort Collins looking at this giant university and thinking, God, why am I here? And, and I began to ask that question, what am I doing here? Why are we here? When, when we walked on the campus, there's a lot of great ministries. I mean, I'll be honest. Ministries that I respect, look up to. You know, the, the director of the Navigators, Jim, you know, I've gotten a chance to you know, pray for his son. I've you know, we hang out every once in a while. He's an incredible guy, incredible leader. I've uh, been here for like 30 years. Crew, shoot, they have their national conference here every every other year or so here at, at CSU. This is like a, a crew uh, hub. You know, they're, and they're a great ministry. My wife was part of crew. I was part of crew for a little while. Um, you know, there's great ministries. Of course, you got all these other groups, uh, you know, church outreaches and things like that that have always been going on. Why come here? Why come here? Where there's already a witness, where there's already, you know, the light is here, why come here? And I want to try to answer that question a little bit tonight. And I'm going to approach it uh, from a kind of 30,000 feet. We'll kind of land the plane before the end of the night. But I want, I want to answer that question uh, in a couple of different ways. I want to look at, I want to look at, I want to share my story. I want to share a little bit of some big picture stuff with you guys. Uh, then I'm going to ask the question, how do we go about the vision that I'm going to try to lay out? Um, what's it going to cost to fulfill that mission? And then practically, what is my part in that vision? So so first off, I just want to give you guys 
some of you guys have heard this before, some of you guys have never heard this, so bear with me, but I do want to share just real quick a little bit of our background. I grew up in Oregon. I'm a rancher's kid. Um, rancher, yeah, yeah, egg. Yeah, egg kids. Woo. FFA, Future Farmers of America. That was me. So, um, I grew up in, I grew up in Eastern Oregon. I, there's a longer story to this, but just to give you the the summary, um, I was 13 and I loved the Lord, really did. Had deep love for the Lord. I went to Denver on my first flight. I went with my grandfather who would go to, you guys know what the Denver Stock Show is? Denver Stock Show? I went, my grandfather would go every year, like all of his uh, adulthood, he would always take one of his kids with him. I was the oldest grandkid, so when his kids got too old to go with him, I went. And I was 13, I went to the Denver Stock Show, spent a week with grandpa (coughs) here in Colorado. Didn't think much about it, it was a cool trip for someone on an airplane, that whole thing. I came back, I had my devotional time. And in my devotional time, the Lord spoke to me. And he said, Nate, I'm calling you back there someday. But next time it's going to be for my purposes, not yours. I'm 13, right? I'm like, okay. Uh, I'm going to go play now. I don't know what to do with that, God. Like, I don't know what to do with that. I'm 13, right? Fast forward to my senior year of high school. There was a moment. There was literally a moment. And I wasn't in some, it wasn't a retreat. There wasn't some kind of like deep prayer session I was in. There was, it was just a moment. I was doing homework. I could tell you exactly where I was doing homework. And the Lord spoke to me and said, Nate, I'm going to call you. Because I'd been praying. Up until that point, I'd kind of been praying. I said, God, where do I go to college? I'm a senior in high school. Where am I going to go to college? And the Lord spoke to me and said, Nate, I don't want you to go to college yet. I want you to give this year to me. I was the first give a year. Pray about a lifetime. Didn't know it. But I, the Lord said, I want you to give this year to me. I want you to do missions. And then you're going to go to college. But after two years at the college you go to, I'm going to call you to leave that place and go somewhere else. It's really vague and really specific at the same time. Like, God, I have no idea what you're talking about. And I said, where am I going to do all this? And the Lord brought back that memory when I was 13. And he said, Colorado. And he said, you're going to go to Colorado for missions, which made no sense. And then he said, after two years of college, I'm going to call you back to go to Colorado. And I said, okay, that makes no sense. There's a long story to that, but I ended up meeting a guy who felt like he had a word from the Lord, just walked up to me and said, I don't know why we're supposed to have lunch tomorrow. I feel like the Lord's telling me we're supposed to get together. I meet with this guy the next day. It turns out he's in this organization called YWAM, if you ever heard of that. And through that, through that group, I uh, ended up doing missions that next year out of a base here in Denver. Went to school at University of Idaho yeah. and uh, go Vandals. I was, I went on, jumped on the football team and was in the largest fraternity on the campus. And this little uh, kind of introverted, quiet country kid was suddenly thrust into a, you know, let's say my Christian bubble was busted in a big hurry, right? And I began to get a heart for college students because I was one, right? And this is my life. This is where I was at. But it was in my fraternity. It was on my football team looking around and seeing everybody who was trying to figure out what they were going to do about God in their life, really wrestling with those questions and seeing just the dynamic season that college is for people in wrestling with that question. So I said, this is awesome. I want to have an impact here. I want, to have a, I want my life to matter here. And after two years, the Lord said, Nate, don't forget, it's time to go. I'm like, really? This again? He's like, yes, it's time to go. And so I ended up transferring. I knew nothing about anything. 
about schools in Colorado. I just knew the Lord told me to go. And there's a principle here. There's a little, you know, Duncan used to say, it's a little nugget for you, but, you know, you obey. The Lord speaks, you obey, and then you find out why sometimes. You first obey. I mean, we always we always want it the other way around. I'm like, God, explain to me. Then I'll decide if I think it's a good idea. Then I'll do But But I just had to take that step of faith. I quit the football team. Wasn't any good, anyways, and and yeah, no, I really wasn't very good. But I I left the football team, and it was my head coach uh, who said, "Hey, if you're looking to still play in football, you could transfer to this little school called the University of Northern Colorado. And you could probably you know transfer NCAA rules, being what they are." And I was like, "Okay," and I didn't, I didn't end up playing football, but I did transfer schools. Now, I was part of crew at the University of Idaho, love crew, but. I had seen this little group uh, called Chi Alpha, and I'd seen them around. From what I picked up, I could tell that they were a couple of things I was really seeking. They were they were spirit filled. They were open to the things of, of the spirit, which I was like, that's so cool. But they were also um, really big in discipleship. Somehow I don't even know how, but somehow I picked up on that. They were really big into discipleship, and I was like, man, that's such a cool thing. So, so when I transferred schools to the University of Northern Colorado my junior year, I said, God, if there's a Chi Alpha there, I would love to check him out. And turns out there was. Now, in hindsight, Lord kind of works things out, you know, the way that he does. But in hindsight, I discovered I ended up transferring to the only school, doors were open to me, to the only school uh, that had a Chi Alpha at that time in Colorado. And sure enough, there was. And I was there for two years, got my degree in accounting. And the Lord said, Nate, this isn't why I called you here. I called you here for this ministry, for this state, to reach university students. And here we are. Long story short, here we are. Now, that's, that's a little bit of why are we here. And part of the answer to that, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. All I know is, you know, God called, I kind of joke that, you know, God called a, a hick from Oregon and a bunch of city kids from Texas, which seems like it should be reversed, and, and called us to Colorado to, to come to this state, to come to this university, to reach out, to start Chi Alpha. And I don't even know what he's up to, but I'm sure glad to be a part of it. And I'm sure glad to be in this room with you guys as we get to figure that out together. Now, there's a there's a simple answer to that that we can say. One, of course, is just simply that even as incredible as, as everybody else is, we and and you guys are, we have not reached, we have not transformed this campus yet. And our goal, our mission is to transform CSU. That is our heart. Not just to have a holy huddle, not just to have a place where the Christians can escape the bad world of, you know, party scenes and fraternities or whatever silly thing that you might think. But, <laughs> yeah, I was a frat guy. But, but to truly transform the ethos, the culture, the place. You know, we right now, we were, Brett and I actually did some studies here know, a year or two ago now, but we, we estimated... All the churches, all the campus ministries, everybody that's having any kind of impact into the university, we estimated about somewhere around 5% of the campus has a connection to Christian community right now. 5%. means one out of every maybe 20 students that you walk by every day has some connection to a Christian community. And part of it is just, hey, we need more. We need more. There's no, no question about that. But we'll get to some of that later. 
There's some other stuff the Lord is just kind of doing in our ministry. And actually, I maybe should have <clears throat> jumped around here. We're gonna, I'm gonna be my own media guy here tonight, so bear with me. But here's just, here's a little of the big picture stuff that we are praying into and believing, believing the Lord for. If there is anyone that I have ever met who has vision. <laughs> It is Scott Martin. So here, listen to our national director as he shares a little bit about why he thinks Chi Alpha needs to be here right now. All right. Oh, hold on. Sorry. It's supposed to be a new one, but he's going to say, I got the key. All right. This is why you're never your own media, man. All right. Zach's awesome. Here we go. Here we go. So much critical things are happening. I want you to know we are praying for you. I want to share something today just really directly from my heart. And I believe that the script Lord is saying is a movement. About four months ago. That's going to be super distracting. Hold on. Hold on. I did that once. Why you got so many That's kind of a Let's try it again. Hey friends, I know it's yeah. Yeah. All right, here we go. Getting the semester, so much critical things are happening. I want you to know we are praying for you. I want to share something today, just really directly from my heart. That I the script the Lord is saying to us is a movement. About four months ago, um, in a personal time of prayer, the Holy Spirit spoke to me in a very profound way with a prophetic word, and the Spirit of the Lord said this: We're about ready to see the greatest student awakening. In history. And I really want to just share that again. So the Lord spoke to me and said, We are about to see the greatest student awakening in history. Um, the Spirit of the Lord further went on. I said this with, with great humility, but He said that He was really calling us to be prepared to help lead and steward this movement. When I say us, I mean Chi Alpha. Then the third thing that the Spirit of the Lord shared with me was that. The World Mission Summit would be a precursor, not the precursor, but a precursor to this great student awakening. This is like a year and ago. And we would see an outpouring of the spirit at the World Mission Summit in a way that we've never seen in Chi Alpha before. I want to challenge all of you as you are walking in at the beginning of your semester and soon our quarter schools will begin to begin to walk in with a sense of anticipation, with a sense of faith. I don't know when it's going to happen. I just know the Spirit of the Lord spoke and said, we need to get prepared. We need to prepare ourselves in prayer and fasting um, and really asking the Lord to anoint us and to lead us and to guide us. So I want to speak to us as a movement 
with every bit of sincerity I have. I'm not trying to just hype something out, not trying to conjure something. But I want us to understand what the prophetic word of the Lord is to us as a movement. Within two weeks of that word coming forward, I had three words of affirmation to that. When I was gathered around with the national directors of Crew and InterVarsity and, and, and RUF and Navigators and, and, and the Baptist movements, everybody was sensing that there was something in the spirit that is new and that God is looking to unfold and unleash with us. Um, I was recently at the General Presbyter's meeting, and in the first devotional, the speaker got up, and he said that he believes that God is about ready to unleash a great awakening, and that awakening is going to be through millennials. I am telling you, the Spirit of the Lord is doing something. It is incumbent upon us, every one of us, to prepare ourselves and to walk in a a new level of faith and belief and preparation for the greatest student awakening in history. May the Lord bless you today. All right. So, and there's some really. Me time. Come on, me time. Hey, so I was with Scott a year ago. We were at crew headquarters at the top, and we were beginning to just. Um, we had this this uh, agenda that was between all the campus ministries trying to highlight prayer and things. And so we were there, leaders of all the other major campus ministries in the country. And here we are in the upper room, basically, here at crew headquarters, and and we just went into a prayer time of prayer. And and there was there was prophetic words, there was you know speaking in tongues, there was like and let me tell you, we actually had everybody go around the room and share what they felt like in their movements, in their ministries, the Lord had been speaking to them about or what had been going on. Let me tell you, Scott and I were the last ones to share. By the time we got to us, it was ridiculous because every ministry was revolving around that theme. I feel like the Lord's saying, there's something happening and I'll prepare. There's something going to happen and I'll prepare. Um, and it was just a cool time to see like how the Lord is both preparing us as campus ministries to prepare, and even Chi Alpha maybe specifically in certain specific areas. That that idea, I mean, we were kind of laughing. It was like, I don't think this has probably ever happened in crew, like a, a upper headquarters like this, the move of the spirit like that, where they're like open to that kind of stuff. InterVarsity, the, the number two man in InterVarsity got a hold of the number two man in Chi Alpha here just recently, said, we have so many students that are spirit-filled right now. Um, we love it. We actually want it. We don't know what to do. Teach us. And we were like, okay. InterVarsity actually themselves just went away. Scott Martin had an opportunity to kind of share that heart that, hey, you know, we just feel like the Lord's like preparing to unleash something. And they went away, prayed themselves, came back and said, hey, we have got confirmation from our own movement. We feel like the Lord's doing the same thing in the next decade. Uh, we're going to see something pretty radical happen. So there, there's this sense of anticipation and excitement about, hey, what is God doing amongst us in campus ministry and particularly maybe even in Kyle for a little bit there. Um, so how do we fulfill this vision? Great student awakening, right? History would tell us that awakenings, great moves of the spirit, uh, most often start with college students. 
and it's because you guys are at a place in life where you're old enough to actually start to do something about the world, but it's not old enough that you're locked into your old way of thinking. You actually think you can change the world. You're ignorant enough to think you can change the world, and you actually do. So, yeah, way to go there. But, but how do we go about this? How do we fulfill this? Well, our vision in Chi Alpha is it revolves around basically you guys. I'm going to get to more into this here in a minute. But it is all about small group leading. It's all about empowering you guys to do the work of making disciples. And small group here, you know, we, we're going to get into a lot of this a lot more in depth throughout LTC and all that kind of stuff. These guys can, can quote a lot of this stuff to you. But small group to us is not... A Bible study that you do once a week, it is not a weekly meeting, it has those things, it has components of that in it, but it is, small group is your life. Come on. That is your life, right? Because what we're trying to do, what we're trying to mimic, what we're trying to emulate is when Jesus said to his disciples, go and make disciples, that wasn't just some kind of, he didn't give them like a manual, this is what it looks like, he didn't give them like, these are like 10 steps to making a disciple, he just said it because they had just spent three years seeing it. Their life, his life, was his discipleship message. And when he said, go make disciples, go and do likewise, there was this picture in their mind that they knew they were trying to emulate. It was their experience with Jesus. It was this, there was this life togetherness, the sense of doing life together, the sense of, of sacrificial servanthood and devotion to one another and, and camaraderie. It's amazing, actually, actually, if you study the disciples, if anybody's been in church... Uh, any length of time, you probably have heard some preacher do some kind of breakdown of like the disciples, how they are all totally different. Uh, they, they even do kind of like personality profiles on the disciples. It's really funny. They're all totally different. Um, and and you know, social, economic, you know, I mean, everything aside from their Jewishness at that point, everything else is different. In fact, one guy, uh, let's see, who who knows who is the zealot of all the disciples. Simon, Alex, Alex, Simon was Simon was a zealot. You know that actually is a technical term. That's actually a technical term. That actually meant somebody who was we we've used in our modern context to actually classify somebody that is like wholly sold out in a in a fervent way towards a belief system. But at that time, it actually was a technical term towards someone who had made an oath as a Jew. To, to basically war against their oppressors. And technic, one of the things that they had to do is if they saw anyone who, if they had an opportunity to kill someone who was basically a sellout uh, at that time to Rome, they were, they were under oath to do it. You know who was a sellout to Rome? Matthew. They, they were actually sworn enemies to these disciples. And yet they came together. There was this sense of togetherness, this devotion, something so much greater than even their their perceptions of how they were supposed to live their lives at that point. Everything was transformed by Jesus. But there is this sense of togetherness, this life together, that, that even when Jesus ultimately would leave to go be with the Father, it's interesting, everybody else scatters Jerusalem when persecution happens, but the disciples stay together. These guys have absolutely nothing in common. In fact, they weren't, they're supposed to kill each other, but they, they're not. They're, they love each other. There's this devotion because they learned to love God and love each other along the way. And so small group is about that. If your goal is your weekly meeting, you have missed the point. Structure serves a greater goal. 
not the goal structure. You know, Jesus said one time, he said, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. Meaning, the structures are important. We say, hey, you need to have a weekly meeting. You need to do it. Because if you don't, there is it's hard to emulate the kind of intentionality and intensity and devotion to one another if you don't have that intentional time. But if your target is the weekly meeting, you can easily start to delineate that from your relationships in your life. Well, these are my small group guys that kind of do this once a week. This is kind of, you know, I met them, and so we kind of do this Bible study thing. You delineate. Your life is the target. The, the weekly meeting is just a means to grow that intentionality, right? Small group to us is life. Our job, Jesus didn't make disciples, we'll get into all this stuff later, but Jesus didn't make disciples by just saying, okay, hey, you want to come into my small group? He made it by <laughs> he, he ministered to all of Israel. And even Jesus actually had layers. His small, you know, his quote-unquote small group, there were layers to it, right? There were the multitudes that he was just ministering to. There was the 120, there was the, there was the 70, there was the 12, there was even... A few within the twelve, the three that were most devoted. There's one guy that was really sold out, holy. That you know is the one, Peter. So, and we see these guys. Jesus's life is his small group, and as people have a desire, it seems to be from what we can from what we can extrapolate from Jesus's method. As he found people that deeply wanted to pursue him and his God, he drew them closer and closer into that inner circle and prioritized them more and more in that way. And then you find these this inner circle that was these guys that were just living life with him. He had his outreach community, right? He had these guys that were kind of like following him, but kind of on the periphery. And he had these inner circle guys that just like even even within the guys really walking out with him. He, you know, there's more and more priority based on that sense of devotion and commitment. And so your life is ministry. As we LTC, I told you guys all this in your LTC interviews, right? Your LTC is about teaching you how to give away what you have. LTC is about teaching you how to to invite people into the family. We're just trying to help you, like, stretch you, grow you in that way, give you practical tools, give you practical steps. But at the end of the day, it's about the family. We are a family. We're a family on a mission. And so your job is to invite people into the family, to make them brothers and sisters, and draw them close to you and to your God as you go along. All right. All right. What is it going to take? What is it going to take? Ow, small group bleeding. Yep. What it will take. A couple of things. Um, <laughs> we kind of talk about it's going to take being being an army. It's going to take being an army. You know, there's there are Soldiers are never as good when they're alone in a battle, right? You can be a soldier. You know, some of you got, you know, some of you guys kind of like, you know, you play your your player one games of things, and you, you know, it's kind of. Anything like. It's like, yeah, I could kind of, you know, I could take down, you know, the whole, you know, whatever World War II Nazi regime by myself. Like, no, you can't. All me, all day, all me. The point is, a soldier by himself doesn't last long. In the real world, a soldier by himself doesn't last long. When you're on a team, how many of you guys have ever been athletes? In high school. When you were, when you were an athlete, 
when you're an athlete. You know, I, I remember times I tried to, like, keep in shape by myself, you know, off-seasons or things like that. You know, it never worked. <laughs> an athlete gets stronger because the team keeps pushing. Iron sharpens iron, the Bible says. And so leadership here, we are about trying to strengthen each other, challenge each other, grow each other. By ourselves, we'll never be as effective at inviting people into the family as we are when we're together. You can do this without the outpost. You can do the Great Commission without us. You don't have to be on leadership to fulfill that. But you're never going to be as effective if you don't have a group of people who are also on the same mission, fighting for, for each other and for the common vision together. So there's... There's three things we kind of highlight. I told you guys broadly in your LTC interviews. For you guys who have been on leadership, you know these things, but I just want to give you a great refresher here. One, the responsibility. Responsibility is the army. That is the army concept. We are an army and we are a family. The army is about taking on responsibility in our faith. And this isn't like, hey, you know, setting up chairs on Sunday morning or doing some kind of service project, as good as those things are. When we talk about responsibility, we're talking about responsibility for the Great Commission. And it's going to take a couple of things. One, it's going to take boldness. It's going to take boldness. When I was in college, well, when I was in high school, my, my dream was to, pl- to run track in college. And I was actually pretty good at it. Frankly, I was probably better at track than I was at, at football. But I was in track in high school, and the Lord told me, spoke to me, he said, Nate, I want you to play football. And I said, What? He said, yeah, if you run, because I was, I, my, my track coaches had this whole plan for me. They wanted me to do cross country, and they would do winter track, and then I was going to be geared up to do to do uh, the 400-meter dash was my, my race. Um, that was mine. Yeah. All mine. Nobody else. But, um, yeah, so, I was going to run the 400-meter dash. That was my dream. And my coaches were, like, on board with it. As soon as the coaches told me their plan, the Lord spoke to me and said, play football, you're going to hurt your knee if you run country. I'm like, I'm going to hurt my knee. I'm going to hurt my knee anywhere. I'm just going to be playing football. Right? So I, I said, no, Lord, I'm not going to do that. <laughs> so I run cross country. And a week later, in my right kneecap, there was a twinge, and the twinge turned into a pain. The pain turned into an aggravation, and the aggravation turned into a debilitating thing. I went to a doctor. The doctor couldn't figure it out. Finally, I got to a specialist. I was, I was actually doing, like, laps in the pool because I couldn't run. and was just trying to keep in shape. Finally, I got to a specialist who said, Nate, I figured out your problem. Uh, you have a slight birth defect in your right kneecap. And he said verbatim, he said, the only reason why it's ever become a problem in your life is because you've been running long distances on hard asphalt. <laughs> and all of a sudden, realizing running 50-yard sprints on soft turf might be a good idea. Well, so the next year, I'm like, okay, God, I'm going to do it. So I played football. Realized I love it. It was so much fun. Um, but it was my senior year of high school. I was like, well, one time, you know, my senior year, no big deal. Went to YWAM. That was the whole thing there. Came back, getting ready for college, going to the University of Idaho. Lord said, all right, you're not done. You didn't learn enough of your lesson in high school. You need to go play college football. I'm like, what? <laughs> I played one year of high school football, University of Idaho, as small as they are, it's a D1 school, and and I had a year off in between. Are you kidding? But I learned my lesson. I said, all right, God, I'll do it. So I played football at the University of Idaho two years there before I ended up transferring to UNC. And and it was it was probably the hardest thing I've ever done in my life. I mean, waking up, I lived in a fraternity house, so the guys, I lived with like 20 other guys in this giant sleeping porch. They'd never go to bed before 1 a.m. I had to wake up at like 4.35 to go to practice every morning. 
So I never slept, and you know, just just the rigors of football plus after having so little experience. So you're in your diary. And uh, so I was asking. I later on I asked the Lord. I said, God, why? What's the deal? Like I I get like I need to be a witness and that kind of thing. But I was like, God, why the football team? Like surely there was better athletes that could have like you know had more respect on that team than I did and I was I was kind of a Rudy of sorts you know just kind of like oh he's so cute we're gonna try so so I I was like God why did I need to be on the football team and you know what he told me he said Nate you're a shy introverted quiet reserved timid boy and I needed and I needed to teach you how to be Aggressive. I needed to teach you how to be bold. And there was nothing quite like having, you know, in high school, football players, either they're fast or they're big. In college, they're both. And um, physics weren't really on my side. You know, you got this, like, 300-pound lineman charging at you full speed. I mean, you know, it just doesn't work. You know, the math is not in your favor. So either you run harder, hit them harder, or you run away. Like, there's really almost no option. It's worse if you stand still and just let them pummel you. So Probably not backwards. So probably not backwards. That's probably not good. So the idea was, the Lord was teaching me, hey, you need to be aggressive. Because in my life, I've realized in my faith, there, God is calling us to a battle. There's no question about it. There's no ifs, ands, or buts. Like, I mean, there is a real battle that is happening on this campus. And whose who's LTC interview was I, like, walking back? And I was like, yeah, we just had to, like deal with some demonic stuff in the guy's life right before it. Like, you know, it was a, yeah, <laughs> like, like, yeah, it's Tuesday morning, you know, but, but let me tell you, there's, there is a real battle, there's a real war, and the news, you know, goodness, we see it, we see it, and there's real consequences, and we need to be people who are, who will fight well, and that's going to take a sense of boldness in our lives. To take that on. Um, it's not just you, right? Jesus said, deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me. But as we follow him, he's going to lead us, one, to our, to our death, right? You guys get the imagery of that? He's literally saying, I'm the centurion. You're the slave. That's what the centurions would say, follow me, as they would, like, the slave would carry their cross to their place of death. Jesus is, saying, is using this imagery. But on the other side of that, he said, follow me, I'll lead you to that place of death, but on the other side is life. And as we fight for people, Jesus is going to invite us into a battle. And we're fighting for people, we're fighting for their death in some ways. We're fighting for the things that have hold them, that they live for, that they strive for. And we're saying, it's not, it's, it's death unto itself. I know where life is. Follow me as I follow Christ, as Paul would say. But it's going to take a sense of initiative, a sense of aggression, a sense of boldness for us to take on our calling to fight for this world. Um, it's going to take some intentionality. You know, we kind of use this phrase sometimes. There's three things that small group leaders broadly are asked to do. You need to find, you need to fight, you need to feed. You need to find people, right? We don't, we don't, we're not an attractional ministry. We say, there's a campus. We'll walk with you. We'll, we'll help you. We'll fight with you. But go find them. Go find them in your class. Go find them in your dorm. Go find them in the welcome week. Go find them in your workplace. Go find them. And we have to, then we have to fight for them, right? We're just gonna fly through some of this stuff. But we're gonna fight for them. 
some of you guys are right there with your guys right now. It's like, man, you got you to gotta love them more than they love themselves. You have to have a bigger vision for them than, than they even have for their own life. You have to fight for them. And sometimes they're going to be turds. They're going to like run away from you. And they're going to want nothing to do with you. And they're going to like reject you and turn you down. And you're just going to feel like crap sometimes because they're just going to walk all over you. But you have to fight for them. You have to fight. You have to pursue them. Right? Boys, right? You see a, a girl you like in this room, it's like, okay, I gotta pursue her, right? You got, you got, it's, I don't know, godly boys, godly girls, how many want a godly girl, how many want a godly girl who's like fighting for people in their life who don't understand responsibility, guess what, here's your room, okay, so, I'm sorry, girls, be scared, okay, um, but you, what girl wants a guy who's just like, yeah, if you want to, whatever, what kind of free flow? No, you want a guy who's like, I am passionate about you. I want to get to know you and takes a risk. Guess what? That's basically what we're asking you to do. We're basically asking you to put yourself out there and say, dude, I love you. I think God has an incredible plan for your life. And I'm going to fight for you. I'm going to pursue you. All right. And then you got to feed them, right? It's not... When I have, when I have my kid, when I, when I first had Jude, right, the doctor gave you know, the stereotypical thing. The doctor gives you the kid and says, hey, have, have a great life. Good luck. You know, it's, it's kind of like, okay. All right. So where's the, you know, where's the training manual? Where's the, you know, I don't know. But you have to, you have to feed them. The modern... Modern world, the modern world, but yeah, just just don't use Wikipedia for that, please. That just that's just asking for trouble. Um, but you gotta feed them, right? You gotta take care of them. That kid will die if you don't take care of them. I mean, it, I remember Duncan when he first had his first kid, Evie. He went to the gro- he let Evie fall asleep. She was in her crib asleep. He went to the he went to the grocery store to go get some food. She was she was left alone at the house. He was totally ignorant. He, he just like and just like well, I was only gone for like 20 minutes. I mean, it was no big deal. She was supposed to sleep for like two hours. Nobody was home. He he tells the story all the time. He he went mind me shit. But you know, of course, now he laughs about it because he's like, what was I thinking, right? <laughs> but that's 20 minutes. Guess what, guys? We're asking you. We're asking you to take on some responsibility, and it's real responsibility. Some people are going to be spiritual kids. Some of these, and it's like, don't, don't drop that baby. Don't, don't. <laughs> you need to, you need to take care of that, that guy, that gal. There's spiritual children here, and there's real consequences if you're not paying attention. Like you got to feed them. You got to feed them that spiritual milk, right? Paul says, hey, we got to get on the meat. But at first, he's he's saying that because he says, at first we were starting with milk, right? You got, you got to feed them. You got to take care of them. You got to grow. That walk with the Lord. You need to lead them, walk with them. That's why we do it together. My life is the goal. Because as my life is that, I can walk with you. And as Paul says, follow me, Timothy. I know the way. I'm not the way, but I know the way to go. All right. All right, responsibility includes vision for the next step. All right. Just, just saying, 
you need to have a vision. And this is, you know, small group leaders right now, maybe this is a little bit. Like, you had a vision for the people that are in LTC right now. It's like, hey, would you want to be on, would you want to fight with me alongside of me? Let's do this together. Let's be on mission. Ben Stone, he's in Russia yeah, right now. Ben Stone. And, uh, and he, you know, he spent all year just ministering to a couple of these guys. And he had this retreat where they were really kind of challenging, like, hey, what's the next step, basically? What's the next step for your people? And he began to wrestle with that. He's like, you know what? The next step is they just need to get right with God. And and he was just kind of playing it. He was just kind of free-flowing. He was just, you know, we, we talk about having a relaxed, love relationship. He just was great at that. He just having living life with these guys. But he needed to have a vision for them. And so he went home and he walked up to two of these guys he'd been fighting for all year, just doing life with them. And he, one at a time, one-on-one, he said, dude, it's time. You need to make a choice. Are you going to follow Jesus? And then kind of like, Picked his jaw up off the floor when both of them independently said, okay, let's do it. It's like, oh, really? That's all I needed to do, right? You need to have a vision for your people. What, who are you walking with and what is the next step for them? Let the Lord lead you in that. Let the Holy Spirit guide you in that. Let them have a voice even in that. Like, you know, where do you feel like the Lord's giving you vision? If you don't have any, can I give you some for your life? But we need, we need to be people on mission, fighting for each other, helping each other grow our walk with the Lord and with each other. All right. Uh, yeah, we're going we're gonna to fly through some of this, but our second value is relationships. Um, uh, da, 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 da. I love it when I'm on my phone because then I just so easily lose my place. Yeah. Technology is awesome. Uh, all right. Well, actually. Oh, you know, I forgot one, one more, and we'll go fly through the other ones here. But. Lastly, in responsibility, it takes, and I don't have a slide for this, but in responsibility, in responsibility, it's going to require you to, to let your light shine, right? Let your light, let your light, it sounds so cheesy when I say it. Yeah, it sounds so cheesy when I say it. In Matthew chapter 5, I feel like I'm a little kid on like play. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 15, it says, neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. The point being, the point being that we need to be people who let it out. It's not enough to have it. You have to express it. You have to put it in a place where it can actually ha- matter, actually make a difference. There's this thing that sometimes we talk about called latent influence that is simply just this idea that how you come across matters. Your your light is shining only as much if you're if you're in in small group and you as a leader look bored or annoyed or distracted, guess what? The light ain't shining. If you're at large group and worship, you're just kinda like uh, guess what? Guess what? Just like that. Uh, I don't know why I have a head kit tilt. It's kind of like, really? But I've seen it before. Let me tell you. Let me tell you. Your light isn't shining. It's not enough to have it. You have to first have it, right? I'm not talking about like faking it. But we are talking about you need to let it out. There's 
This great book, horrible title of a book. It's old ODG. Yeah, it's old dead girl. Uh, but uh, horrible title of a book. It's called The Christian Secret to a Happy Life. But the book is awesome. But she says this. She says, you Christians seem to have, talking about somebody that she talked to, um, said, you Christians seem to have a religion that makes you miserable. You are like a man with a headache. He doesn't want to get rid of his head, but it hurts him to keep it. You cannot expect outsiders to seek very earnestly for anything so uncomfortable. Christian secret to happy life. The point being, if you aren't full of joy of the Lord, let me tell you, nobody's going to want what you have. If you're trying to minister to people or reach out to people, be like, hey, let's live life together, and your life seems dull, depressing, frustrating, boring, guess what? Nobody's going to want it. You need to learn to let the light of God shine out of you. So let me tell you, Whatever your convictions are about worship, you better be engaging. Put your hands up. Get on your knees. Just worship. Let everybody around you hear you. Whatever it is, I don't care. He's like, well, I'm worshiping in my heart. Guess what? Your heart is under a bushel. So get it out. Alright. I was... I was I'm reading this book. It's actually it's just a it's just a business book. It's kind of interesting. My my reading diet's kind of broad. Ask the staff. But but it's called the culture culture code. Um and the culture code. Um it's it's really fascinating. They did this study. They did a study. I'm going to try to do it or to give it justice. But they did a study where they would take teams of business business entrepreneurial kind of groups and they put them together. Teams anywhere from 5 to 40. And they would, they would put basically a spy in there, uh, or not a spy, but basically someone who was going to try to um, influence the group in one of three ways. And one of them was they were either going to be Eeyore, just kind of like Gloomy Gus, right? Just They weren't going to say anything bad. They weren't going to downplay anything. They were just going to be, you know, put their head on the table. Yeah, I'm just going <laughs> to, uh, I'm so bored to be here. But, Pin the tail on them. Yeah, right, and I'll get him going. The other guy was was an antagonist, and I can't remember what the other one was, but it was something along that line. They found, and they did this where they had groups that were like excited, passionate, like on board with this vision they were doing. They put this one guy in there. Every time, every time one guy disrupted the entire energy of the group to where by the end of the meeting, everybody was dis- disconnecting from the vision. One guy in a group of 40 just putting his head down on the table like, I don't want to be here. Everybody's disconnecting. By the end of the meeting, a third of the room is putting their heads on the table just like, I'm not interested. It was fascinating. They also, they also found, though, that there's they had one outlier group, and this is where the book kind of gets going, but there's there was actually one outlier that actually showed that they could you could actually uh, deflect the uh, the antagonist or the, the gloomy guest. But... But it all had to do with with somebody who was actually just so passionate about what was going on that they were they just kept the group focused on the vision. Let me tell you, don't be the gloomy gust that causes everybody else in your resource group or on leadership or in the outpost to disconnect from worship, from thought life, from small group, from whatever it is. I'm not saying fake it. I'm saying let it out. Is God good? Let it out. All right. All right, so we're going to move on.
One of the other one of the other core values is relationships. And this is where we get into family. I'm going to kind of fly over this. But here's the thing. The army is only as strong as the family is strong. Right? The army is only as strong as the family because the army is about giving away what we have. You can't give away what you don't have. There's this there's this uh, movie that uh, a lot of us love called Lord of the Rings. Yeah. How many of you guys know that know that you know that one scene, the Fellowship of the of the Ring? Here's here's little Frodo. There's all of these elves and dwarves and hobbits, and they want nothing to do with each other, but they are technically allies, and they're standing around trying to figure out what are we gonna do with this ring? How are we gonna get rid of it? And and they're fighting. They're about to go to blows just over it. And and all of a sudden, in the midst of the chaos, here comes little Frodo, and he grabs the ring, and he says, I'll take it. But what? I need a guide. I don't know the I way. I don't know the way. <laughs> I need a guide. <laughs> yeah. yeah that's, a, that's the hunter's version. Like, I don't you know. I need a bowman. I need a, you know. So. <laughs> My ox. <laughs> My ox. Yeah, that's right. So. Guess what happens? It's like the disciples. They have nothing in common except for one common mission in their life. And the Fellowship of the Ring is born, right? And by the end of the, the series, we know what happens. Of course, course, you know, the guy who wrote this was a genius. He was a Christian man himself. He actually influenced C.S. Lewis, if you don't know that, um, in his walk with the Lord. But, but he's talking about this idea of brotherhood or sisterhood, this idea of deep friendship that's deeper than just being friends it's about mission we're on mission together and there is something about being in the foxhole together saying i've got your back you've got mine let's do this together that is something deeper more profound more true than friendship is just kind of a surface level of that brotherhood is something deeper when that that thing about your life c.s lewis talks about friendship could be about anything brotherhood is about when the thing in your life the core thing, the thing that everything else serves, the, the integration point is what a lot of times we'll use as, as that word. The thing that everything else serves, when that thing is synced, and you're saying, I need you, you need me, we can do this better together than apart. When that sinks, there's this deep sense of camaraderie and fellowship that is, that is special and unique. And that's what we're trying to fight for. That's what we're fighting for. I don't want a bunch of friends in my life. I got plenty of Facebook friends. I don't need any more. What I need, what I want, what I want are brothers. I want people in the foxhole with me. I want people that I can trust that way. I want people that are going to do it with me and we're going to do it together. That's something worth fighting for and that's ultimately what we're trying to create. You're inviting people into that. You're inviting people into that kind of fellowship. But you're the one taking the initiative to create it. All right. Um... <laughs> third one third one and uh, we'll kind of move on but uh, a real walk with the Lord that's our third value right first one is responsibility second one brotherhood brotherhood sisterhood third one first I'll walk with the Lord um, and these and I'll, I'll say this too small group leaders listen up LTC is not about teaching your LTC people about how to have a better Devo life. It is not about teaching them how to have a better sense of connection with one another in brotherhood or sisterhood. That's your job. 
small group is where that is. LTC is is this class. We don't teach brotherhood in a class. We teach it where we're coming together saying, hey, you know, the weekly meeting, the weekly meeting is a time where you guys are intentional to be like, hey, what are you going through? What are you learning? What's your thought life like? How can we help each other? How can we do this better together? How can we be that fellowship of the ring, like guide each other's back, fight for a common purpose in our lives? It's just Jesus. That's what the weekly meeting is. It's just an intentional time for that. But we need to have a real walk with the Lord. A.W. Tozer, that means we need to have a thought life that's worth something, right? A.W. Tozer says, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. The history of mankind will probably show that no people has ever risen above its religion, and man's spiritual history will positively demonstrate that no religion has ever been greater than its idea of God. Worship is pure or base as the worshiper entertains high or low thoughts on God. What's your thought life? What's your thought life like? I was, we were, Jacob and I were in this gathering of CMIT leaders and, and, uh, this week. And, uh, and one of the guys said this thing, it's kind of stuck with me a little bit, but he, he basically said, I'm, I'm paraphrasing a little bit for clarity, but he basically said, what you receive from the Lord is in proportion to your sacrifice that leads to consecration. We need to be people, you know, Jane had kind of talked about this this week. In fact, you know, he's talking about the idea of radical consecration. Our lives need to be so devoted to the Lord. We need to let that light grow, right? If it's going to shine, it's got to grow. We need to let it grow in our own life. That starts with our thought life, but it goes beyond that. You know, our walk with the Lord, our pursuit of Him and His presence in our lives, our recognition of His omnipresence, all those kind of things. You know, there's, there's a great litmus test that I, I've thought of over the years, and, and one of the guys was talking about this this week too. It reminded me, but where your mind goes at rest is a great litmus test to your thought life. It's a great litmus test because you tend to think about your subconscious absorbs what you consciously are thinking about, wrestling with, focusing on, and in, in your subconscious will bring that up, right? That's why dreams are weird, but kind of normally interact with like things going on in your life. If you're stressed, your thought life when you're at rest is stressful. It's, it dwells on those things. When your mind is at rest, is your mind turning to the Lord? Do you hold high views of Him? Do you think about great things about Him? Do you, is your mind full of that? The great question: Where does your mind go at rest? There's this there's this term uh, in the world right now that I just think is is so interesting. But it's mindfulness. Have you guys ever hear mindfulness? I swear it's on like every like other magazine at Barnes and Noble. Like every every third book in the psychology section is like how to live a mindful life, right? Basically, it's this idea. I mean, it's like a buzzword in our world right now. The idea being, it's kind of like Feel the cool air on your skin, right? Feel the breath flowing through your lungs. Think about the beauty of the nature around you. It's not per se bad, but what it but what it is in essence is a distraction trick. Distract your your busy, chaotic, stressful life with something else for a minute, so you can feel a sense of rest because you're not thinking about real life. And here we have a God who says, actually, be mindful. Yeah, be mindful. Be in the moment. But be mindful of me in the moment. If you're mindful of me, I'm not a distraction tool. 
Yeah. I'm the answer. I'm the place where the answer is found. I'm where real peace, real rest, real joy. And even in my own life, I'm kind of in that place right now. I was like, do I feel like God is that place of peace? And if not, maybe I need to start adjusting my life. Maybe I need to take some things out of my life that aren't allowing me to go and rest in that place. What do we need to take out? That was the thing, Andy, Andy Rotz, you guys, boys at Men's Advance this weekend, you go, what? How do you need to lighten the load, right? How do you need to lighten the load? All right. All right. All right. We're going to we're gonna kind of go to this last thing, and then we're going to wrap up, have some time of prayer, worship, uh, before the night's out here. But why does the outpost exist? You know, big picture-wise, we see the Lord's doing some stuff. We believe that he's going to do some stuff. Um, great awakenings, whatever that means. We can talk about some of that. But but what what is it going to take? Well, the only way we know how to do it is by having a real walk with the Lord, a real personal walk with the Lord. The, the methodology that we have is responsibility in creating community. Your life is discipleship, and we're going to help you try to do that better. But why does the outpost exist? Basically, it's to make disciple makers. Our whole philosophy is about making disciple makers, making you as best we can, helping you grow into being the most effective minister of the gospel that we can help you be on this campus. That's our whole goal. That we don't know any other strategy. I'm not that, you know, our methodology isn't attractional enough. I don't think I'm that eloquent of a speaker to be able to just do it myself. I don't think that the ministry can, I'm not trying to be, you know, Whatever. I, but the point is, I can't reach CSU. But you can. You know, they say, campus ministry, they argue in, in the study of missions, the campus ministry, particularly even in the United States, for one, is argued to be the most effective camp, or, uh, outreach in the world, most, most strategic mission field in the world. And you know who the most influential people are on those campuses? College students living out their faith. Guess what? You're the most influential missionary for a couple of years in the entire world. So deal with it. What are you, what are you going to do about it? That's the question. What are you going to do about it? What are you going to do about it? Um, why does the outpost exist to make disciple makers? Um, what is disciples? Disciple is someone who is in relationship and in pursuit of their God and Father, right? In relationship, in pursuit with their God. To be a disciple maker is about fighting for people to have what you already have. To join in the greatest story ever told. To become part of that story. To join in the fight. The kingdom of God is built on relationship, but it takes a warrior spirit, resilience, an aggression, a vision. It's going to see it realized. Um, C.S. Lewis says, you know, love C.S. Lewis, but he says, there are no ordinary people. You have never talked to a mere mortal. Nations, cultures, arts, civilizations, these are mortal, and their life is to ours as the life of a gnat, but it is in mortals whom we joke with, work with, marry, snub, and exploit. Immortal horrors or everlasting splendors. Guys, someday we're going to be before, be before Jesus, and we're going to have two things to present to him. Our love relationship that we have developed with him 
Like, God, I can't wait to have this next season. We've, we've, we've gotten this close. I can't wait to get that much closer now face-to-face. And the other thing is, is to have everyone else that's saying the same thing right next to us we brought with us. Right? Those are the only two things that are going to be eternal. And everything else is important. I totally get that. And it's, it's you know your your career, your job, your training, your education. You know that that stuff's important. It really is. But but let me tell you, you know what we're gonna do here? We're gonna help you with that too. Mm-hmm. I was actually just talking to Omar. Uh, he's in an internship uh, in Denver. Yeah, 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 Omar. He was he's an accountant, right? He is studying to be a uh, an auditor. He's like I am constantly being being tested on ten things. There's ten things that they are always <laughs> evaluating me on. Two of them have anything to do with auditing. Two out of ten. He said the other eight, leadership taught me. Come on. I was actually talking to the head of First National down the street here, or First Federal here in Old Town, and and he said I hire people. Fifty percent of the reason, fifty percent of the reason why I hire people is because of because of their education. Fifty percent. The other fifty percent is because of what he calls their social intelligence. Their ability, and he defined it basically by the way that they can pursue people, build a relationship with people, have, have team cohesion, um, serve or be submissive to leadership and lead uh, in a servant sort of way. Right? I, was, I was reading this book by this a- Apple executive, used to be on Google, and they actually said, the day that we used to say your work life has to be separate is over. We need managers who, and she didn't use these words, but basically she said, who know how to disciple people. That's what we're looking for, is, is leaders who know how to disciple people, and nobody knows how to do it, but that's what we're looking for, right? So you're going to get something out of this. You're going you're gonna to grow, you know, you're, half of the reason why somebody's going to hire you is because of what you maybe learn by pursuing that, that kid who just wants something to do with you, right? But, but more than that, it's about because God is worthy. Because the thing that we have to offer our king someday, if my computer it just died, that's okay. Um, <laughs> gotta, gotta you'll love to. You'll never know. Oh, hey, oh, oh, oh. hey. Thanks, Jesus. Paul said in 2 Corinthians, I hope you will bear with a little of my foolishness. <laughs> Love that intro. But you are already doing it. I am jealous for you with a godly jealousy. For I promised you to one husband to present you as a pur- pure virgin to Christ. Here's what Paul's saying. He said, you're my gift. God did so much for me. You're what I have to offer him. So stop being a bad gift. You know, get better. Get you know, <laughs> be better. Right? You gotta kick some in the butt with that. But here's the thing: in eternity, this is this is our eternal legacy. This is our eternal legacy. We're gonna stand before Jesus and say, "Thank you so much for what you did. I brought some friends with me." That's what's gonna be eternal. So that's what we're inviting you to to try to fight. Second um, Timothy two, two and three says this. This is one of Chi Alpha's kind of like core scripture verses because it highlights this idea of transgenerational discipleship. But it's it's this idea. He says 2 Timothy 2 2. It's really easy to remember. It's just 2 2 2 um, Timothy here. But he says, And the things that you have heard me say among many witnesses, entrust these to faithful men who will be qualified to teach others as well. Join me in suffering like a good soldier of Christ Jesus. God love Paul. He's just like, Join me in suffering. Right? 
What God what God gives you is in proportion to your sacrifice towards consecration. But 2 Timothy 2.2, 2, he's basically, he has these generations, right? He's Paul talking to Timothy, and he says to Timothy, find faithful men who will be qualified to teach others well. So there's, there's the ones that Timothy gives the responsibility to, and then the ones that they give it to. And here's the thing, Paul recognizes, you guys, you guys, LTC students, you guys realize you're an answer to prayer. You're an answer, you're an answer to people's, you're an answer to people's lives. You know, the guys behind you or beside you, like these small group leaders that have, that have sacrificed, that have fought, who had like, you know, gone through rejection and success, joy and failure. Like you're, the point of, of leadership is not, the point is not to, to try to add more people into LTC, but it's not less than that. It's not less than that. Paul recognized that. He's telling Timothy, he's like, hey, you need to find some other people to give this to. I gave this to you. Now, you guys realize, like, if if you graduate, you graduate, and you don't replicate yourself in the sense of you don't replicate someone else who's taking on responsibility in their faith to fight for other people on this campus. You leave this campus with less witness than when you came in. Yeah. Mm-hmm. If you replicate yourself once over, you kind of leave it in a place of you know equilibrium. If you add to that, that's where the kingdom of God is advancing. Yeah. And the point isn't like, hey, this is you know this is the goal. Because it's not. It's not like that is the goal. But the goal to transform this campus because every person needs to bend their knee and to worship the Lord. That is how we're going to get there. You guys realize my one of my great dreams is someday, this is how we're going to transform this campus. This is where then we begin to realize we're actually doing it. When every student on this campus has a relational connection to someone who is fighting for this campus. Yes. When we have every student has a connection to someone who is fighting for this campus, not just a Christian who like accidentally shares that they're a Christian, maybe sometime, but someone who is actually fighting for them. And when their life, when they're, yeah, you're on the scope. Oh, did I say Jesus? Oh, I'm so sorry. That's not very precise, right? Let me take that back up. Just forget I said anything, right? No. And that's, when we have that, when that's happening, again, it's not the structure. The goal, the goal isn't structure, so we can have more numbers to show up. The goal is relational. The goal is relational. Everything, everything we do, guys, everything we do is relationally focused. Everything we do, make disciple makers. Making disciples is about teaching people to come closer to you in fellowship and closer to your God in relationship. It's about relationship. Everything is. The structures are just there to help. Us, we're here just to push you further than you would go by yourself as an athlete. We're there to just push that envelope just a little bit. But everything is about relationship. And when we have enough leaders on this campus that we could say every student on this campus has a relational connection to someone who is fighting for them, then we can actually say we're actually beginning to transform it. And it's ethos. And I believe that the Lord is going to lead us to that. But it's, I've done the numbers. It's a big number. So we need to keep fighting. We need the army to grow. And we need the family to get strong. Okay. You guys doing okay? Yeah. You guys doing good? All right. All right. What we're going to teach you guys is how to take on responsibility in your faith. 
Some of you guys, we're going to go through LTC. I'm not going to teach you anything new. I'm not going to teach you anything new. You guys have heard it all, probably better than what I'm going to tell you. But let me tell you, just because you know how important it is to share your faith, if you haven't seen someone come to the Lord, you don't know. You don't know squat yet. If you know that the kingdom of God is relational, but you don't know what it means to fight for people, you don't know anything yet. It's not until you do that you learn. And it's one thing to be a spectator watching the Olympics and be like, yeah, I think they uh, didn't, didn't cut that corner quite so as good as they should have, right? You know, the, They should have been a little bit faster off the, off the line. They probably should have you know, done an extra twirl. It's one thing to be a spectator. I'm trying to... It's one thing to be a spectator. It's a whole other thing to be out on the field and playing the game. That's true. We're going to teach you guys how to play the game. And if you guys will walk with us, we're going we're gonna to do something together. And together, we'll see CSU more transformed than before. That's your part. That's your role. All right. I love St. Francis Xavier. Just say, give up your small ambitions and come with me to save the world. All right. What we're going to do now, I know you guys have just been listening to me talk for a while, so go ahead and stand up. Oh, where? Stand up. 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 Stand if you're not a small group leader yet, if you're not a small group leader yet, my intern's going to leave your hands down. If you're an LTC student, go ahead and raise your hand. If you are a small group leader, get around the people close to you. What? If you're a small group leader, if you're a small leader, get around the people, get around the LTC students. Small group leaders, I want you to pray. Small group leaders, I want you to pray for the LTC students. I just want you, I just want you to pray out loud. Let that light shine. Be bold. All right. And hey, I just want you to pray for them. I want you nothing long, nothing long. But if you're if you're a small group leader, I want you to pray for each LTC student near you or in your circle or whatever you're doing. And I want you to just pray that the Lord will begin. Oh, 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 oh. Hold on, hold on, hold on. Hold on, hold on, hold on. I'll tell you in a second if you guys will listen, listen, listen. Okay. So just for a minute, I want you to pray out for the LTC students. I want you to just pray the Lord's hand over them as they continue to step out for boldness, for, for intentionality. The Lord would just teach them, grow them, and how to let that light shine. How to take on that initiative, how to be aggressive in a godly way. Help them to have a vision for where the Lord is leading them. We don't want this just to be our vision. We need the Lord to speak to them and say and speak over them in their life. What does the Lord have for you? And so I just want you guys to pray. Small group leaders, I want you to pray out loud. I want you to pray bold. Don't make anything too long. If you're in a circle, let everybody pray. Um, pray in turn. Or we're just gonna 
go with this. And just for a minute, we're just going to pray over all these guys or girls that are walking into the army. And uh, they're already part of our family, so let's just lift them up to our Father. God, I love love and laughter. I do love it. Okay. All right, go ahead. Go for it. One, two, three, pray. Go ahead. Thank you. 